Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing, and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to Fortune and Freedom with Nigel Farage. Nigel, you've taken on the, the political establishment and won, and you've also taken on the media establishment, and that battle is very much raging. But now as I see it, you're gonna take on a third front. You're also gonna take on the financial establishment. So tell us about Fortune and Freedom, what you've got planned. Yeah, the idea is that Fortune and Freedom will be a daily email, uh, and we'll talk about economic ideas, we'll talk about political movements and what's happening, and you know, but what people don't know about me is they see me as a politician, they see me a bit as a broadcaster. What they don't know is I did spend 20 years working in the financial industry, working in commodities mostly, as indeed my father and grandfather did. So we're a family that have spent a lot of time in financial markets, but in what was a very different world. Um, and my feeling is that people who have put money aside, uh, put it into pension pots or whatever it is, allowed the professional industry to manage it for them, uh, have suffered uh, charges compounded over years that don't really give them a decent chance of getting a good return, uh, are investing in an industry that uh, operates on groupthink, where they all do the same thing um, every year, so they all go up a bit or all go down a bit. And I think we've all been let down so badly that it's time to take back control of our own money, our own lives, let's have our own financial independence, and that really is what I'm trying to do. Why now? What motivates you to do this now? Is there any particular issue that sparked all of this? Uh, two reasons, really. One, I'm not going to Brussels and Strasbourg every week. Uh, I'm not representing a constituency, so there's a little bit more time on my hands to do other things. Uh, that's one reason I'm doing it. Um, and secondly, because I've been so busy myself over the last 20 years, even though I could see some of the failings of the industry, I myself have trusted the industry to do this for me. And I, I look you know, at the annual statement I get. I think, well, you know, there I was in the 1990s, running my own little brokerage company, conscientiously putting money aside every year. And actually, I've been let down very, very badly. So, so there's a little bit of me that's kicking myself for being so trusting. Um, and the third reason is, I mean, just think about 2020. Think about where we are now yeah. and where we thought we'd be. Um, I was going to say on the first of January, but let's say the 31st of January, the day we left the EU. Um, you know, the world's a different place. Uh, we've got a major American election coming up, which could well set the economic course for America, the world's biggest economy, for the next few years. Uh, we've got a situation in Europe where, uh, you know, Brussels is deluding itself that somehow everyone's in love with the euro and it's all going swimmingly. It's not, and I can see the growth of populist politics now across southern Europe in particular. You know. We will not sit here and have this conversation in five or ten years' time and the euro be in the shape that it's currently in. And again, that means there'll be huge economic shocks and some people will get very badly caught in that. Um, and I also think what coronavirus has shown us is that rainy days happen, that the world, terrific shocks happen. And if people are not financially independent, they are in a much weaker, poorer position to weather those stocks that those storms uh, than if they'd made plans and provisions. And I just, there's something in me that says that a lot of young people that I speak to have not been saving at all. The culture of thrift has been destroyed by effectively zero interest rates for years, and particularly in London by house prices just being completely unaffordable for people. So, you know, your grandmother says to you, look, if you're having a good time, put some money aside for a rainy day. And young people thought, hey, we're never going to have a rainy day. Well, now they know there can be rainy days. So I do actually think 
I do actually think there'll be a lot more people out there right now who think, we don't want to be in this position ever again. You know, we actually do want to build for ourselves a, a secure financial future. And I think, and the aim and the hope of fortune and freedom is that we can make people freer, but also able to make their own decisions, able to make their own mistakes, able to make their own successes, but hopefully uh, with high-end research, with some really good thinking, they can do a damn sight better on their own than by trusting an industry which seems, frankly, to serve itself more than its customers. I see you as being an expert in finding that when there's a gap between what the establishment, whether it's political or media or financial, is promising people and what it believes is best for people and what they actually want. Um, so when people have been let down by you know, the financial establishment yeah. and the returns they've got, you've, you've spotted this gap. And if you're as successful as you were in, in politics with this helping to close that gap, bringing people what they actually want from the financial advice that they're getting and the financial information they're getting, uh, then you should outdo the city quite comfortably. Well, let's hope so. And also, you know, so much of the culture um, of savings, of, 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 of ISAs, of pensions, of all of these things, so much of it's utterly dependent on the indices. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's tracker funds. It's all, well, that's all well and good. And, and, and you know, you can point to long-term growth of stock markets as being a good place to invest, but hey, they have very bad periods of five years Long or more, yeah. you know, and it does happen. So I think another object of this is to get people to think about alternative investments, to get people to think about gold, silver, uh, you know, and if you're going to buy it, where do you go to buy it? Where, you know, where is it really secure? So sort of um, things that the financial establishment won't tell people. Uh, th no, these things are almost like secrets. Um, and the other thing I think, and I know this is true, is people get financial advice or they're sent the letter and they read it and it's so legalistic it's so tied up with terms to meet compliance requirements or whatever it may be that the truth of it is very few people understand the stuff that's been sent to them and so hopefully what we're trying to do here is cut through the jargon put things in good simple English and at the end of the day you know it's not my job to tell people what they should and shouldn't do but it is I hope through fortune and freedom to give them the opportunity to think about different things and to understand what they might be getting into. That confusing jargon that's like legal jargon, that's by design. That's how they justify their jobs as I see yes. it. And it's by design that newsletters should not be like that and fortune and freedom will not be like that. It's no, a deliberate that, part that, of no, what we're trying one, to do. That is one big promise. It'll be in good simple English. So as part of the research for, for this interview, um, I obviously did some background research into you because I missed the first half of your career from living overseas. and. Um, it posed sort of two key questions. What makes you credible and gives you the expertise to write something like financial uh, fortune and freedom? So really, you've been a politician for so long, and like you say, people don't know about your background. No. And I think we need to clarify that you really do have a lot of, well, not, not just, not just a, a track record, but you know, proven examples of when you've made predictions and, and uh, even before fortune and freedom was launched, explain to people what could happen well, next. The, the interconnectivity of politics, economics, financial markets, I mean they're almost one and the same thing. People say, oh how on earth are you going to go from being a broker uh, to being a politician? Well actually I spoke about the same things every day in politics I was talking about when I was working in the commodity markets. Um, and I'll give you my one big example and this is in fact in a way why I made the transition. It's a long time ago but uh, there was an evening uh, back in 1990 when the United Kingdom joined the exchange rate mechanism. We effectively pegged sterling against a basket of currencies, or predominantly the Deutsche Mark, obviously, 
And I remember that night, the news came through at about 5.30 in the evening, and I couldn't believe it. The next day, traveling into London on the train, everybody was in favor. The CBI were in favor. The trade unions were in favor. The Tory party were in favor. The Labour party, the Liberals were in favor. Everyone was in favor. The Financial Times was in favor. Everybody thought it was marvelous. And I thought, this is not going to work. And there were a few skeptics out there. There was a Professor Alan Walters, who'd advised Margaret Thatcher very strongly not to do it. The eternal recession but, machine, you yeah, called it. Well, that's right. And, and, and he was, of course, kicked out. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, and speaking in the city to friends, who all thought, well, maybe Nigel's had one too many at lunch, you know, because I wasn't going along <laughs> with, with this consensus view. And as that two-year period of ERM membership continued, and as things clearly got worse with us having the wrong set of interest rates, uh, 1992, a record year for house repossessions and business, business bankruptcies. It's still not been surpassed. Uh, and I began to think then, I can't get everything right, but there are times when I can see that the crowd has just got this wrong. And so that gave me the confidence. Getting ERM right gave me the confidence to go to politics, gave me the confidence to go out and appear in public and, and, and do some of the things I've done over those years. Um, and and I think I've got a track record of making the odd very big call. You know, I don't make them every Thursday, but the odd very big call and getting it right. And I hope and believe that's the skill set that I can bring to make this newsletter, Fortune and Freedom, something that people actually want to read. So when I bought this book called Wit and Wisdom of Nigel Farage <laughs> and I discovered it was empty, now we know what it should have had inside <laughs> it all along. Well, you see, there you are. The reason that that was published is because uh, you know, I've been much derided, and the reason I've been much derided is because I've dared take on the establishment and dared take on the consensus. And I'd say to people, you know, if you've trusted the consensus, if you've trusted the establishment to look after your money, you've been pretty badly let down. So why not go some fresh thinking? To me, that's what all, you know, that whole project, Fortune and Freedom, and your whole career is all about trust. So when I looked at some of the videos of, of speaking to our publisher, uh, where you were laying out this, this idea, mm. I realized the same person behind the scenes, or screens I should say now, um, as you are you know, on stage in politics, uh, everywhere you're a consistent person and that shows you've got this integrity and that's why I want to work with you. But my sense of it, more importantly, is that millions of British people at home have got the same opinion of, of you uh, because you've got this track record of not getting sucked yeah. into the, the Brussels gravy train. When you say you're going to do something, you actually go and do it, which is you know, quite unique in politics, but <laughs> even you know, all celebrities in the UK, uh, probably globally. So to me, that's why this is going to work. If you say you're going to help people take back control of their finances and establish financial independence, well, you will actually do it. Yeah, no, no. I mean, look, they can do this. They can do this. You know, uh, in a sense, that's the easy bit. Getting yourself set up properly so you're in charge of your own money and free from the financial markets machine, uh, you know, and, and that whole industry. That's the easy bit. The harder bit, of course, is making the right decisions. Um, and, and, and that's where we're going to need a lot of thought, a lot of research. Uh, and I think just people, people need, need, need to think that there are different ways of setting money aside for your future. So look, this can be done. There's no question about it. You mentioned some of the reasons why the financial advice that people have been getting has been you know, subpar, disappointing yeah. in the various different ways. What are some of your beliefs about what people should be doing? Give me a flavor of what sorts <coughs> of ideas we'll discuss in Fortune and Freedom. Well, I think, I mean, I, I mean to me, there are two distinct groups of people that I think will be interested in what we've got to say in Fortune and Freedom. One are the people in my age bracket 
the people who have been putting money aside for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, uh, and it's tied up in their pension pot, uh, and that pension pot, even though we've got SIPs, etc., but that pension pot, effectively, they've given the management of that mm -hmm. over uh, to the industry, and they're being badly served. And I think for those people, uh, you know, use the ability that the law now gives you to actually genuinely be in control of that pension pot, make your own decisions, and to ensure against some of the great risks that I think we face. And I really do mean it when I say the Eurozone could collapse in the next few years. You know, I really do mean it. I, I also think uh, that there is, a, that, that there is a, a risk, a chance, that some of these tech stocks that are now valued uh, on ratios, the likes of which we haven't seen probably since the 1929 crash on Wall Street, uh, you know, that one needs to be pretty careful about staying in stocks like this. So, so I think insuring against disaster is the first thing people need to do who've built up savings. And the second group of people uh, that, that, that I want to make think about this and appeal to are those younger people who perhaps as yet haven't put aside a bean, but they really do need to. Because I tell you what, if you're watching this and you're 35 years old, do you really think you're going to get a big state pension in 35, 40 years' time? Because I tell you what, you're not. It just isn't going to happen. So, so there were two types of people, groups of people, that I think we're really speaking to here. The city's support for Remain in the referendum, I oh, think, yeah. is a perfect example <coughs> of how they get things wrong because they're in this bubble. Uh, they're stuck in this world where the status quo, as you often point out, is crucial to their business mm. continuing, their incomes mm. continuing. So they miss opportunities and threats. Do you think there's anything similar that the city can't see today? Well, the city is not the city that I knew. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the one that I joined was a very different city. Um, it was less international uh, than it is now, and I'm pleased that it is international. But the days of the small broker, the small merchant bank, the days of a handshake, and my word is my bond, and yeah, of course, there were one or two rogues, but generally, it worked. And the great priority of brokers in those days was that their clients were making money. Now, it's giant global conglomerates that have swallowed up the whole industry. Um, and it seems that whether clients make money is at the bottom of the list for the regulators and for the big companies. Um, and, they, and they have devised and set up a whole series of schemes that have benefited themselves. And if you're a big player, you know, if you're somebody with huge amounts of money, uh, to throw around and trade in the markets, probably the City of London's still okay for you. But if you're an ordinary folk out there on, on lower, middle income, uh, then this industry is not for you. It doesn't work anymore. You've all been parceled up, put into an industry uh, whose fees, whose structure, whose lack of thought is not going to deliver for you. So we'll play a, a quick game of true and false. You're not allowed to explain your answer. If you do want to, you'll have to do it in the future <laughs> issue of Fortune and Freedom. <laughs> So, true or false, people should manage their own investments? Absolutely. Take back control of your own lives and your own money. Stocks go up in the long run? Stocks do go up in the long run, but it doesn't mean you should be 100% exposed just to stocks. Stocks are overvalued? I am nervous of the stock markets, and I think um, following the US election, uh, I think there is a real chance that some of, the, some of these very highly priced tech stocks might be at the highest they'll be for some time. Inflation is coming back. Well, at the moment, what governments are trying to do is, 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 is to avoid a deflationary downward spiral. But I, I can't help thinking longer term that one of the lessons that we learned uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s was that inflation is a disease of money uh, created by governments. And I think the amount of false money printing at some point is going to lead to inflation, yes.
I'm going to take that as a true then. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> These aren't well-word answers. I apologise. At least they're interesting, though. <laughs> the interest rates that we've got should be higher. Yes, of course. And, you know, the whole idea that low interest rates were somehow going to generate this sort of wonderful economic mm. recovery has been a disaster and has further damaged that culture of thrift that I talked about earlier. I've noticed, I'm going to sway from my true and false game myself, I've noticed in Germany this low interest rates problem is a massive topic um, that the media loves to discuss, whereas in the UK they never really mention that people are hurt badly when interest rates are cut. No, it's a funny one, isn't it? Um, our whole media and business culture is there to talk about borrowers, never about Dead. savers. Never. They, they don't have a voice. They're, 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 there's no effective lobby for them in Westminster. They don't have a voice. Um, but uh, hey, you know, we're talking on behalf of savers here. The COVID-19 shock is not over yet. Sadly, that's true. Buy gold? Absolutely. It's had a big ride already. I'm very much a buy on dips man with gold, yeah. Well, here's the twist then. Buy gold ETFs. Yeah, look, however you do it, I mean, you've got two choices, but I just think the safest, most sensible thing to do is to actually buy physical gold and to know that you've actually got it because without getting conspiratorial, there are an awful lot of people who think they're buying gold. and I'm not even sure the stuff actually exists. I think you've got to buy gold, buy the bullion. Yes, sure, you'll pay a bit of rent to hold it, but actually know you have it. Britain will boom after Brexit. Britain should boom after Brexit, uh, provided we get out on the 31st of December this year with a deal that makes us free of the clogging rules of the single market, of the customs union, uh, wake up to the fact that we can become more competitive, um, recognise that Europe is not the be-all and end-all, you know, the Eurozone is 15% of global GDP, there's 85% outside, and hey, you know what, we speak English, the world's language, we've got amazing connections all over the globe, and I tell you what, uh, I, in relative terms, the EU, the UK will do better than the EU over the next few years, of that I'm absolutely certain. The Euro will fail. Ultimately, the euro cannot stay together as it's currently constructed, and there are going to be some pretty hefty casualties along the way. Um, Including the financial establishment in the UK to some extent. Well, yes. I mean, I think, you know, as and when this thing does break up, and, 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 and we'll, talk, uh, we'll talk about concepts like Target 2, not today, but these are the kind of things, you know, that we'll use fortune and freedom for to explain to people the real mess the eurozone is in. Uh, I suspect we'll finish up uh, with, with, with effectively a greater Deutschmark. We'll finish up with Germany and a few countries around it, uh, but the collateral damage and the risk uh, of being invested in Europe when this happens is very high indeed. Going back to the Deutschmark zone would of course be what happened historically. The Euro is not the first time they've tried this project, so... Well, I mean actually, and again, that's something that we could explore, is to go through the history of currency unions. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty miserable history. I see it. Those who try and create a currency union in Europe are, are just repeating history and, it, and it, that quote it, about it, doomed it, to repeat. It always goes wrong. Italy will be the next country to leave the EU. <laughs> well, of course, I've always asked this question, to which my answer always is, if I knew the answer, I'd be down at the bookmakers this afternoon. Uh, look, it could well be Italy. Um, it could be Denmark. I mean, Denmark were reluctant joiners of the project. They joined the same day that we did back in 73. They've opted out of even more things than mm. the UK did as members of it. So it could be Denmark. Um, a lot depends on how the UK is seen to be prospering in 18 months' time or so. But I think the country that has the really explosive potential is Italy, and there are two reasons for that. One is that clearly the economics of this currency does not work for Italy. And secondly, the Italians have no emotional 
attachment to the project. You know, we can go into France and Germany now and talk to people who are quite Eurosceptic, don't like the sort of Brussels bureaucracy, but they'll say, but you know what, Nigel, we had these horrendous wars. 1870, 1914, 1939, three wars within 70 years along that uh, border of the River Rhine. And, you know, even though we don't like it, uh, you know, at least there's peace. And, and, and still, I mean, I think it's an outdated view, but you'll still find an emotional attachment in parts of France and Germany to that view. Italy has no such connection with that history whatsoever. Uh, so the Italians have never had any love for the European project. It was just a view in Italy that they were managing themselves so awfully yeah. that perhaps somebody else could do it better. Well, that, I think that's the dirty little secret of the EU yeah. is there's, there's some nations who don't trust their own national politicians or trust the European yeah. politicians a little bit more. Uh, but that's not true of the UK and it's not true of Denmark, well, for example. And this is what was so amazing, that every time I had a debate against prominent Remainers, the Lord Heseltines, these people, all they could ever do is to tell us that the UK is a tiny little island, we're a poor little country, we can't possibly cope on our own. And it was the whole, the mindset of those that are pro-Brussels is, is that individual nation states cannot flourish in the 21st century. And I actually say, look around the world, look at the, look at the Switzerland's, New Zealand's, Singapore's, lots of countries around the world with small populations that are well run, that have done incredibly well. Um, so it's a you know, self-confidence. I mean, my Euroscepticism was based on self-confidence. I believe that we could actually run things better ourselves. I also think democracy in the long run gives us better outcomes than state socialism run from the centre. And I want to try and apply that principle, you know, and I'm going to try hard to apply that principle with fortune and freedom. I think we can do better managing our own money than allowing an industry that acts in its own interest to do it for us. I'm going to stick to my true and false. I've got two more for you. Oh, sorry. The European Parliament building will be converted back into a brewery within your lifetime. <laughs> well, I'd like to go. I mean, I'd cut the ribbon on it. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what I it was. I was going to ask you if you'd go, actually. <laughs> Look, I want us to have a forum where countries in Europe sit down and talk and agree, you know, to do things, common things, where we have a shared interest, and that can be air pollution, it can be crime. All of those things we want to do as good European neighbours. We don't need the European Commission and a European Parliament to do those things. We really don't. And you knew this one was coming. Donald Trump will win the US election. Oh, look, um, Donald Trump has been written off more than I have. Um, I mean, the number of times, I was told the, the Farage Fox has yeah. been shot. I mean, the number of times I heard that over the years. Um, the opinion polls in America are based on national polls. Uh, the American elections are not decided on national vote shares. And frankly, whether Biden wins in California by two million votes or six million votes is irrelevant because Biden's going to win California anyway. There are eight to ten key swing states. And whatever the media will have you believe, Trump is within touching distance in every single one of those states. I think the pollsters find it very difficult, particularly after some of the hysteria around the Black Lives Matters protest and ongoing real tensions in parts of America, where some voters, when asked by pollsters, are actually too shy to say they might vote for Donald Trump. So you've got the shy Trumper phenomenon. But here's the key thing people should think about. When you look at the Trump base, they are, three quarters of them, very enthusiastic about their man. When you look at those who say they'll vote for Biden, over half of them say their primary reason for voting Biden is they don't like Trump. Well, that isn't, that isn't a positive that gets voter turnout on the day. And so, look, I, no, I'll stick my neck out. I mean, in 2016, I said Trump would win. They all thought 
you know, I'd lost my marbles, uh, but it turned out to be right, and I'll say it again, Trump will win on November the 3rd. So where to now? What's your message for people who've just subscribed or are considering, considering subscribing? What should they do? I would say this to you. I mean, look, you know, if it's not your bag, if you're not interested, if you trust the industry to look after your money, well, that's absolutely fine. And it's not my job to try and persuade you differently. But if, like me, uh, you're one of those people who feels he's been very badly let down by the industry, uh, then give fortune and freedom a chance. You will get a daily newsletter. I hope it'll contain interesting stuff. It'll contain gossipy stuff. It'll contain predictive stuff. But it will also contain educational stuff. Uh, stuff about what you can do with your money, how you can do it, that nobody else is ever going to tell you. So your choice. It's a free country. It's a free world where it should be. Um, but here's an opportunity where I do think you'll find it interesting and you might just learn something. Nigel, I was hoping we'd find something to disagree about just to show people that you know, there is no party line <laughs> of fortune and freedom. No. But the only thing I can think of is our taste in beer. So with that in mind, I think it is time for a beer. Thanks for joining us and thanks for coming, Nigel. Thank you.